Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invites you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. If you didn't know this yet, we're located in Canada. Uh, the town that we're in is in Elmira, Ontario. And uh, this is a ministry that's dedicated itself to helping us all grow in grace, to keep growing in grace. There's so much to learn. There isn't just the basics of uh, not just identity, but how does identity then get lived out? Anyway, it goes deeper. That's what this entire, all the sessions are about that you will end up seeing. But we're also hitting many different topics, um, topics that have been questioned, topics I've questioned, and I want to dig more into because there's got to be a more hope-filled answer to some of the things we've been taught and told. So that's what all this is. So I'm, I'm having a, a lot of fun. So um, today we're talking about what is hell. I'm not w if it's real, but what is hell? Very different. Um, I've seen topics called hell doesn't exist or blah, blah, blah. And I understand it. Some of those are just shock statements and it's great. And uh, if you assume the title is the the entirety of the conversation, then, well, then you're just a news reader, headline reader. Don't do that. <laughs> Go deeper. And uh, that's what we're doing with this program. So I've got uh, special guests, uh, Bill Thrasher and Richard Murray with me. Um, and we're going to have part two of a discussion on what is hell. And last week was so good. And this week is so good. Um, we're, we want to, there's a couple more conversations we want to have about this. Uh, so this is not the end um, because this is a big topic. In fact, people don't realize that their belief of what hell is may be hidden under the surface. They just don't realize it until you start poking and go, well, why do you believe that? Well, because there's a hell. Well, okay, what does that mean? Now, now you start to tie back I would say faulty concepts of, of doctrine to a faulty teaching on what hell is. And so uh, now to, for me to say it's faulty, who am I, right? Um, but why can't we explore? Why can't we educate ourselves and dig deeper into what the scriptures really say? Uh, what the intent of the scriptures are? What about history? What about the, the, uh, the Hebrews? How did they view the afterlife? Really important. Um, what about um, uh, how many times the word hell is actually in the Bible? Now, I think last week, unless we talk about today, I, I, it could be today, but uh, I noticed there's a, a moment. Yes, it was last week because um, I, I was trying to make sure I could say hell's not in the Bible because it isn't. It's only in English translations. And uh, when Richard kind of explained more of it, um, I realized my phrasing is unhelpful. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Great teaching moment for me because we're not done. So I also want to give you another recommendation. Um, here's a book I'm going to highly recommend. It's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut, Hope, Hell, and the New Jerusalem by Brad Jerzak. I will say this. This is the best book on hell I have ever read by far. Um, 
just blew me away. In fact, it was it was a game changer for me. In fact, I had a person in my church, a very intellectual person who kind of didn't like my phrasing on how I talked about hell, didn't like, it just seemed, they thought my pendulum swung too far. And then they read the book and they responded with, now I see where you're coming from. I thought, ah, all right, that's so cool. Um, so again, how we have the conversation matters. It's not just the content. It's not about who's right and who's wrong. Really hard to grasp that. Um, but we'll talk about that another day. So let's dig into it. Let's see how this uh, conversation goes. I think you're going to really, really enjoy uh, this conversation and uh, leave comments in, in the uh, comment section. By the way, we've got uh, uh, Mike from UK, the UK. Oh, saying good afternoon to me. Sandra. Good morning, Sandra. It's afternoon to you. That's right. Yeah, it's 8 a.m. here in Ontario. So uh, I'm glad you're watching from the UK. I'm just thrilled to be connected to you. Very cool. All right, here we go. Let's dig into this awesome topic. Welcome back to Still Growing Grace, part two of what's this thing about hell? So you got to watch what last the hell? week. What the hell's hell? <laughs> <laughs> Well, last week, one of the big things that uh, uh, was discussed is the word hell that we see in English, the mistranslation to hell is not in the original languages. There's other words, there's Tartarus, there's Gehenna, there's Hades, there's, uh, what's the other one? Um, I forgot, but Sheol. there's Sheol, Sheol, right. So each of those have different meanings, and it's important to go back to those original languages. However, the concept of something going on, a deeper understanding of God and his, how he judges. And if you have a misconception, you're, it's going to lead you to mistranslate and misunderstand the meanings of those words. But if you have a more grace-filled lens and uh, an understanding of your Heavenly Father, you're going to read that text through a lens of, wow, what's he got going for me now? He cares about me. This is not about him kicking the snot out of me. This is about him saying, oh, this is not how I've, that part is not what I created in you. That, that was an add-on. Where'd you get that? Right? So what'd you guys catch from last time? What do you want to, where do you want to go with this? Because we want to talk about fire and judgment today for sure. No, I, I yeah, I, <laughs> I thought Richard may jump in, but I'll, I'll jump in. No, I think fire and judgment is really it. And that we teased at the end of last session that there's this, this kind of repeating theme from Jesus's own mouth about some sort of judgment that is seemingly, you know, kind of impending on the people he's talking to. Um, and that it deals with the weeping and gnashing of teeth or the outer darkness, a lot of times associated with his parables, right? Uh, the fire of God's judgment, as it can be kind of alluded to also, a place where worms never die, right? Um, all these kind of images. Um, we see it also even in the, the sheep and the goats, right? That, that parable and the everlasting torment that's going to happen at the end there. And what's Jesus talking about, man? This sounds... Or the par that parable of that uh, priest who saw, what's his name, Lazarus on Lazarus, the other side. Right, and Lazarus, right. The, yeah, the good man, all that. It's like, okay, there's a lot going on here. And, and man, Jesus seems really intense. And I think there's some some real things we got to get into here. And, and I think, Mike, you alluded to the fact that maybe there was a cultural thing happening, and, and that's too. And I, I kind of threw my hand up and said, I think there's an allegorical thing on top of that as well, as there always is. Um. And so that's kind of where we're at, we're at in the conversation. And, you know, at least I'll throw it out there on my end. Um, I do believe that so much of what Jesus was speaking to very 
practically, and this is a, an element that, that's probably going to end into a word. Actually, I'm going to rewind for two seconds. The word saved. <laughs> right? That's a load. Of, that's for another show, my friend. <laughs> it is. We've got to get to it here. We got, I mean, just for at least in essence, you got to get to it. Yep. The challenge with the word saved. Are you saved? Are you saved, my brother? Unfortunately, in cultural Christianity, we have associated that so entangledly with set with hell and we don't even it's subconscious and we don't even know it bingo that's what i meant at the very beginning of last session yeah we've, we've entangled the word saved with being saved from the, the hellacious vindictive ret- retributive judgment of god in this place of eternal torture and punishment right are you saved are you saved from what from from where God will send you or what God would do to you, yada, yada, yada. And so saved in its own essence has this really negative connotation to it if we're willing to admit it. Can I show you this? Let me show you this. You'll, you'll, you'll smile when you see this. Let, let me in. Why? So I can save you from what? From what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. That's right. And we don't like admitting that because then it, all of a sudden our salvation feels less engaged and, and maybe it's not real or no. And I, I am a big proponent in the concept of Sozos, right? Mm. Which is the great essence of salvation. But I'm also a, a, a understanding this and in, in that salvation is more than what if salvation is more than one thing in the Bible, right? Well, it's a much deeper conversation. And very, uh, very few people have ever thought of that or heard that before. Yeah. And so salvation there, there is, and again, I'm going to give you my two second version on this. I go way more deep and sometimes, but salvation, there's an objective overarching salvation. That would be first Timothy 4.10. I think, you know, salvation for all men, especially those who believe. Oh, wait, there's that, there is a, a salvation for all men. That's, that's a pretty big concept. And I think you've heard, if you've watched us at all, you know there's some some understanding here. There is a subjective salvation, right, that we can absolutely see among people that are walking in a light of regarding no one according to the flesh, right, and, and our consciousness and our identity of, of reflecting Christ as the image bearer of our essence is being you know, transfigured inside this life and beyond this life, right? So there's a a subjective individualistic salvation that I think that's what we try to convey, but it gets twisted real fast. But third, I think there was just a very real salvation that was going to happen with very practical people at a very specific point in time in, in history. And so many of the people Jesus was going to talk to, and so many of the people that Paul was talking to, were living in a very climactic, dangerous barbaric brutal world and and if they if they listened to the words of jesus they were going to possibly have some deliverance from the brutality of what that world wanted to do to them as christ followers or as 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 even as jewish followers so again we don't talk about this stuff in cultural christianity and yet so much of what jesus is saying when he's saying flee to the mountains he, he's meaning this sounds shocking go to the mountains and you won't die if you stay here 
you might die and you might die a really ugly, painful death. He really meant it though. He really meant it, right? And so that there's allegorical implications, but there's some literal input. There's a literal salvation happening at the same time. You're referring to 70 AD, correct? Ultimately, yeah. but even before that, all the way up until right. 70 AD, there was, yeah. and I think that's the, the thing. truth is still true. The truth is still but true. But I think he was still pointing to an event. He was. Ultimately, there's going to be an event, but I don't want to also allow that event to overwhelm Yes, everything. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's so important. Richard, I'll let you go from there. <laughs> I didn't talk it. too much. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I don't. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Well, we were talking about the judgment of God and the fire of God. So um, in the words uh, of Jesus, well, you know, when he's talking about those judgmental things. What's he referring to? What's he referring to? How is, what is, what is he trying to get to for the people? If if it's not eternal torment, then what's he referring to? Well, I think um, sometimes, you know, Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, could only tell you what it was like. That's what parables, they tell you what it was like. Mm. I always try to avoid being too precise with, with what even the kingdom of hell would be like, because it's a metaphysical question. All we can do is, is, is talk what it's like. And the one person with the best allegory wins, I think, the, the most Christ-like allegory, the most illuminated allegory. And I'm going to give you one that I think is pretty good. It's it, and I go to the Jim Carrey movie called The Mask. A oh lot of people, yes. a lot of people have seen the Mask movie out there. And in that movie, he finds uh, the mask of Loki, the god of mischief. And uh, this mask, if you, when you find it, it will graft itself onto your face. And you will still look like yourself a little bit, but it, it twists you into something that you're not. Well, Jim Carrey puts on this mask and it does give him demonic powers. It gives him powers to do this, that and the other and, and fulfill his lusts and all this sort of thing. But he, he does a lot of damage. And at the end, he falls in love with somebody and he knows that to to uh, to have this person that he loves, he's got to get rid of this mask. So he. He, he pulls it off and you, it sticks to his face, but he finally, he fights and he fights and he finally pulls it and pulls it. It's grafted onto him, mm-hmm. onto his being. He pulls it off and then he throws it in the lake at the end of the movie or in the water. And that's where it goes to say you could tell. Uh, so so I, I wrote this article called Jim Carrey in the Lake of Fire with the idea there that what gets what 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 God's purging fire in the postmortem life does to us is it burns the sin masks off of us. It burns the things off of us through his love, the things that have deformed us, debilitated us, uh, twisted us um, and made us into things that we were not. Things that have the liar, the, liar yes. the thief, the adulterer, all the things yes. that you see in Revelation, right? That will never see the kingdom of heaven. These right. aspects of you will never see the kingdom right. of heaven. So this is really almost psychic surgery that's going on uh, in the afterlife where he, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, some people have crowns and some people, the ones who have crowns of a, of a spirit led life and an enlarged devil evolved life in the spirit, they cast their crowns at the Lord's feet. Those who don't have crowns, you know, are purged. No one ends up with a crown. It's all at Jesus's feet, but, but there is a walkabout that, 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 I, you know, that probably all of us need to go on on some level. And as I, as I said earlier, but, you know, the, the point is that the Bible and Paul and Jesus and the, that basically practices something called 
personification where sin is personified uh, as the sin man. You know, Paul said, this is a sin man. This is not you. This is, you have a sin man. There's a man of perdition, a man of sin. Uh, they, they talk about Jezebel. They talk about other personality aspects uh, that in, in, in not the entire being. Uh, wisdom is personified as a, as a woman. All right. So they, this was a ready literary uh, method that they used, that the ancients used. Uh, and we've lost that. We think it's we, we think it's all kit and caboodle. It's everything. Either we're all saved or we're all dead. You know, we're all tortured. extremes. But, but, but the Lord is much more nuanced than that. So he would come in and he would he would bring us through the filter of his love mm. and the things that could not pass through the filter would stay behind. That's not. And, and you know, it, it even gets back as a lawyer. I will tell you that if you go to a prison, you will see that there are two basic uh, philosophies of punishment. One is that uh, it's an eye for an eye. That if a prisoner does it, if he does this, he deserves to be punished for what he did. But the other, re the other theory of, of prisons is that it's a place of rehabilitation, that prisoners are to be real rehabilitated and brought into repentance and restoration. Very Now, I will say that the ones that predominate are the other ones. You know, that most people have that. He's got to be punished for what he did. But punishment it's really how you view punishment. And if, if, if we can accept for a moment that God would punish us to heal us rather than punish us to execute some sort of violent act upon us and destruction. I mean, that that's just not the, um, you know, not the restorative and not the resurrected God. You know, Jesus, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, when it talks about all the all the sermons that laid the groundwork for the early church, hell wasn't mentioned except one time. And the concept of hell was mentioned one time. And it was when Jesus is quoted as saying, Father, you will not abandon my soul to hell. So the only thing that's mentioned in the book of Acts, is that it's in Acts 2, is that we're, we would never be abandoned to it. Jesus knew something we didn't know. He went to hell. That's in the creed. You know, that that's that's long been. He went and Ephesians talked about it, that he went down there, whatever it is, and led captivity captive, led those lost souls captive, led the led those who still have the grafted masks on them of this, that and the other captive. He went down there and his work in our lives, his work in our lives is to is to help us rid ourselves of these masks that have fig leaves. You know, for Adam and Eve, it was fig leaves that they hid from God. We put these masks on. We think terrible things about him. But that lets us, you know, the only way to avoid God is really to believe lies about him. You have to convince yourself, if I want to avoid him, I've got to believe lies about him. So hell is a lie about God the way that it's, the way that it's taught. It is a lie about, it's a misrepresentation of the divine nature. So we come in, you know, with a New Testament spirit and we, we reinterpret hell according to Jesus. We reinterpret it according to the way that he ministered to people and the way that he promised uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, that God treats his enemies by blessing them. God treats his enemies by restoring them. God treats his enemies by giving the extra coat, walking the extra mile, turning the cheek, and that that's where his perfection lies in the way that he deals with enemies. And if we are on some level inimical to him or enemies with our thinking to him, how does he deal with us? By loving us out of it, by taking us to a place of love. And let me share one other thing. There's a Batman villain named Scarecrow, and Scarecrow Scarecrow has this gas that he blows into people's face, 
and it makes them uh, it makes them scared. It makes them hallucinate in fear so that anyone who comes up to them trying to help them uh, looks like a monster to them. They they reimagine him as a monster so they won't let anyone help them. And they're scared and they're neurotic and they're frantic and they're uh, hysterical and and all that. But I I think that hell for some people, they smell the gas. You know, and, and it's the gas of their own delusions, their own fears, their own insecurities or others, those that have been preached to them. So 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 they're fearful. And if God does come to them, they might very well say, you know, Jonah, for instance, as a scriptural example, Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days. Yet he says he says that that I thought I was there forever. I was forever in the belly of the fish, but he was only there three days. And the early church believed that was that was, that whole thing was was a um, an archetype of Jesus, uh, a type and shadow of Jesus coming up from hell. Yep. You know, but yet it would seem eternal to him because he was well, in it. He was in great anguish. When listen, going, if you were in there for three days, you would feel <laughs> eternal. <laughs> well, I think that brings up a perfect point because when we even get into the Greek of of, of Jesus's um, interpretive kind of words, anios, right? The word that's been interpreted as everlasting or eternal, eternal, you know, means for a indefinite period of time. It, it doesn't really mean eternal in the sense that I think modern day people think that it's literally timelessness. In other words, it's time without end. That's not how they understood it. It was for a, a, um, season of time, an age is what it really means. That's what the word means, an age, right? And so I had a, a pastor friend that, that got on to me because I was saying, I, I don't think eternal means as it's being given, what you think it means is in it's, it's endless, right? Uh, he goes, what about John three sixteen? you know, eternal life? Don't you believe in eternal life? And I, obviously John three sixteen is a nuanced verse within itself. And I, I actually said, no, I, I don't believe that the eternal life of John 3, 16, I think it's an age given life in that context too. And he just, that was like a mind blow for him. Like, you don't believe in eternal life? I, I do, but not from that context of that verse. Cause we've been programmed to see that verse as kind of the conditional statement of modern theology, right? It's the fork in the road for Western Christianity for God. So loved his son, for, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, not go to hell, just die, and, ha- you know, shall not perish, but have eternal life, right? Everlasting life. Well, he's talking to a single person. He's talking to a Jewish Pharisee. He's talking in the context of the Jewish kingdom. He's referencing Isaiah chapter 60 and this whole rebirth concept. He's not talking about what we think he's talking about. He's talking to a cultural dynamic happening right there. And if we read the next verse, he takes something very conditional and he flips it on its head to being completely unconditional. For I not come into the world, the Jewish world, to condemn the world, but to save, sozos, restore the world through me, right? So even that verse in and of itself, this idea of eternal, as Richard was saying, three days, it's, it's an age, it's a period of time. And we got to loosen our grip onto the, the dogma of, of, I think, Words we've been programmed to believe have one meaning, only one meaning, no other meaning, so help me God. And, and whether it's hell, whether it's eternal, whether it's saved, all these words, we've got to loosen our grip and realize that there's so much more depth and beauty, uh, torment, 
Um, again, all these words have something there, judgment, that's so much better than we've been led to believe. If we're willing to, to you know, loosen the reins ever so slightly and, and realize that there's a, there's a, a beauty and imagery going on in this story that is much more Christ-like than most of us have ever been told. Boom. Christ-like. I, both of you just nailed the concept that I was rebutting in the previous program because I was saying, hey, that word hell, you know, people are using it a lot. And there's a misunderstanding, but that's actually a child lever response. Yeah, That's not young adult, adult response because we can touch on it, but what's the intent of the conversation to refine the thinking or prove them wrong? And you're right. Yeah. Like now I'm starting to see what you just said and what Richard just shared this, this journey of talking about hell and unpacking it is not about right and wrong as we grew up with. This is about expanding the love of God. Like I, I've been discussed or looking at what is the fire of God. You know, God is a consuming fire. Uh, Old Testament talks about the God's throne is in flames, that there's a river of fire flowing from the throne of God. And I've jokingly said, well, if there's a river flowing from his throne, where do rivers typically flow? To lakes, lake of fire. What's the fire? His love. If God is love, that fire is his love. What's that fire going to do? It's going to purge and purify. It's not something to be threatened for those who believe it. It'll be heaven to those who can't stand being told they're loved. Um, it's well, going to be more than I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, and there's my twist from last one. I'm going to get to that. Good. Jesus makes some interesting parallels and I'm a, I'm going to throw the wrench in the, the, even the progressive understanding of hell to a small degree. Good. So much of these people that, that are the quote unquote outsiders to the Christian community that uh, they don't believe God loves them. The atheists, I, I actually believe they're not the ones that, that are going, they're going to have the, um, they're going to have the quick turnaround, right? Who, who is, uh, Jesus had the par- parable about he who is uh, more, which, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember which parable is, but the one that had more to, that was the, the talents, right? And the one that had to have more, I'm trying to remember the, the exact parable, you, bear with me, um, more to be saved from, right? The debtors, that's what it was, the debtors. The, the one with the greater debt, which one's better? Well, the one with the greater debt, the more quick to respond, Right. So the people that we've presumed, sorry, I got, got sidetracked there. The way we, people we've presumed to be hellbound, right, to resist this love of God, we've always been told it's the ones that don't believe in this life. I actually think it's the opposite, me. If Jesus is to believe, it's the ones that think they have it all figured out now and think that God loves them because they have it figured out that are going to have the most tormenting experience on the other side of the veil of this thing we call life. And, and that's, that's a personal thing for me. Maybe, maybe other people see it differently, but we've placed this label on unbelievers and people who think they're, un, they're worthless and all that. I think they're going to be the first to go, holy cow, they're, the, the chaff is so dried on their kernel of wheat, it's going to burn away like that, right? But the ones that have built up this calloused shell of pride and buried their kernel of, of glory and grace and worth, not on anything other than who God made them to be, but they built around it all these layers and layers of self-righteousness and pride. And that's the ones that, that if Jesus is to believe, are going to experience the, the more pain and the more anguish 
on the other side of this life, not because they're not loved, because they refuse to believe that their love wasn't earned and merited. And for me, I think that's something we don't talk about enough, that, that grace is a pretty amazing thing. And the second we believe we're better than someone else or someone else's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the twist, I think, to this whole, whole hell equation that Jesus, I think, repeated over and over and over. And sometimes we just, I think we miss it, that, that it's, it's the pretentiousness, like, but it's not the, it's not the broken pretentiousness. It's the prideful pretentiousness that tends to be the most, I think, dangerous mask that anyone can wear. Mm. Funny oh. that we heard about masks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did that on purpose. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I kept thinking of the movie Lord of the Rings. Precious, my precious. Same thing I, as. I'll follow up with one more thing, I, you know, but. I think, and maybe this is something we, we can tease for the next one, Richard, you can, I don't think people really believe in the punitive, vindictive version of hell that they think they do a lot of time, just because their actions don't bear it out, ultimately. Because if it's true, and there are some people who get to a level of psychosis that do believe it, but then it turns into psychosis, right? We don't run around in this world every day like this looming threat of eternal punishment is really sitting around the corner for our best friends who don't believe for you know the the person on the street we we really don't we're pretty we're pretty benign to the fact if this is true and i think that's because somewhere deep down holy spirit comforts every one of us and realizes that it's probably not that God's love is bigger than this threat that, that maybe our head says, but our heart somewhere deep down knows it's not there. Yeah. I, Mike, I, I don't know if you got, mute, you got muted, Mike. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I think um, that um, my favorite passage, you know, I, I, if we go back, and here's my general theory about acronyms. Anything that has an acronym is usually bad in the theological <laughs> sense. Because <laughs> you, you have ECT, which is eternal conscious torment. Then you got the, uh, yes, you know, penal, PSA, penal substitutionary, you know, atonement. All these things, all these things mutate the character of God. They are deformations of his character that are fear, insecurity, and lack of, lack of, uh, confidence in God's goodness cause. So, um, you know, I, I think the battle, it, we're battling, we're battling uh, these things, you know, we're battling these things as part of our walk. This is, this is a battle we need to have. And uh, I agree with Bill that some people, um, th there's no fruit to hell. There's no fruit to it. it it's a fruitless concept. And which is, and I think Bill would say the good hearted people you know, who do love the Lord, they don't talk about it like his parents. They didn't, they didn't talk about it, even though they went to a place that might believe in it. But, but others, you know, and, and the ones who do talk about it, there's no fruit to it. So they're, they're barren branches. So Jesus comes and he burns the barren branch. He, he doesn't burn the whole tree. He burns the branches, you know, and that's the way he, he judges us. You know, he wants to burn the branches off that aren't producing any fruit. And, uh, you know, hell, hell is a, you know, it's a fruitless concept and it, and it takes the place in our being of where fruit should be. So even, even people that may not preach it, they still got areas in their being that it, I believe that it still needs, you know, there, there's some fruit, some more fruit is that, you know, that they may be great people now, but there's some more fruit uh, and beneficial fruit even for them. I, I think when we as a body defeat the concept 
the traditional concept of hell, then that'll be the bride would have done one of its major, major things. And I'd like to share a passage. I love this. Whatever, you know, if we look at hell in the sense that it is, it is our, it, it's the illusions, the delusions about God that we bought into and that, you know, the fig leaves that we've hidden behind, whether it's our personality, whether it's our pride, no matter what it is, these are the things we we've hidden, you know, we, we put between us and God subconsciously, most of them subconsciously, I believe, but some of them consciously, but in any event, whatever hell is and, 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 you know, whatever people, whatever fear and insecurity and angst people may be bound in, this is the passage of all passages of, of why, of what Jesus has to say about it. And this is Paul talking in, in four. Uh, he says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting the Old Testament here as a prophetic prefigurement of Jesus. When he ascended, referring to Christ, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And what another version says, he he led captivity captive. All those who had been cap, been held captive by their own fear and insecurity, which, of course, is what Hebrew says that Satan rules when we're in fear. You know, so fear, the fear of God. And it's an illusion. It, he's the one thing we shouldn't fear. We should be in awe, but not fear, not dread. But listen, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also had descended into the lower regions of the earth, which meant the grave and which meant hell. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all things that he might fill all things. Mm. So Jesus descended into our self-made hell, into our individual hells and into our corporate hells, into our most misguided thinking about him. He descended into the pit of it so that he could lead captivity captive. You know, and my favorite verse, my favorite type in the Old Testament is Samson taking the Gaza gates on his shoulders and tearing them off the hinges and moving them to the top of the hill. Jesus tore off the gates of hell that we had built, you know, that we had built to, to keep him out. He came in and he took the gates and, and he has the keys to, to, uh, to death and hell. And he came to set us free that he might fill all of us together. Well, don't get excited about it. <laughs> Sorry, that's phenomenal. That's uh, we forget about all that. And in fact, I'm I'm hearing the tone, the heart of how we should be talking about this and confronting it, instead of the shock statements from lots of folks discovering grace or growing in it. Um, I, I am I'm hearing even more clearly in this conversation what not to do. And what rather to focus on, it's like, whoop, didn't see that coming. That was good. Yeah. So I, I love this. This has been so, so helpful. Yeah. Any, Perfect love any, casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, we started that. That was the topic because, right at the beginning of this. We, we because, talked about fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. <laughs> <laughs> so resources. How can people dig into this a little bit more for their own personal? What's, what's some of the best stuff you've come across or most meaningful to you? 
Cause I don't, I don't tell what, tell people what to believe anymore. I share my journey and share with what I've read that has helped me on my journey. I mean, there's so many good books. I mean, uh, that, I mean, Steve McVeigh's beyond an angry God, uh, Brian, Brian Zahn's, um, Saints in, in Saints the hands of a loving God, loving God uh, Brad Jurzak's, uh, her gates will never be shut. shut. Um, a more Christ-like God, a more beautiful gospel. I know Richard has a, a couple books out there as well that are available for free, right? Online what yeah i've got i've got 20 essays here um that i've written it's i call it the nature of hell and judgment series no way but let me just tell you the topics four reasons the early church did not believe hell lasts forever two a pocket of stasis which is what peter called this in the in the acts the restoration of all things in christ there's actually a greek word for it a pocket of stasis a heresy a hope or is it a doctrine uh what about all the wrath in the book of revelation Jim Carrey in the Lake of Fire. I told you about that one. The question of hell. What is the judgment of nations in Matthew 25? Uh, Do God's flames of judgment seek to heal us or torture us? What is the vengeance of the Lord? Uh, Christ is victor, the greatest story ever told. Revisiting the wrath of God. What is the everlasting destruction mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 9? Versus supporting Jesus as the savior of all men. And that's what the price of admission alone, because it's got like 150 passages. Uh, what is patristic universalism? What did the early church believe? Is God the one who destroys both body and soul in hell? What about the rich man and Lazarus? Sin, the second death and personification. Uh, 23 minutes in hell or 23 minutes in hysteria. Um, is justice an essential part of God's character and Jesus's descent into hell. So I've got uh, now my, my I take a little tag. I write essays. I don't really write books. I, I, I can only stay focused for an essay. <laughs> so I try to answer specific questions. So mine's a little more particularized uh, with those topics. But it, it's on the uh, if anyone it goes on my uh, goes on my Facebook page, I'll, tr- I'll try to uh, to post that sometime in the in the near future. But it just you can message me on Facebook and I'll send you the 20 links. Is that on the is that on found on the goodness of God.com website? It, uh, yeah, there's there, uh, my Facebook posts are there. Um, and uh, if, you I, send, I post- if you send me the links when we air this, I'll have them posted below. OK, I'll do it. Just easier. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. Our time is suddenly up. We're we're yeah. done, done. <laughs> This has been really fun. I know it's a topic that's important, and some people might be frustrated that we didn't go I think deep there's enough. There's maybe one more to draw out of this too. Maybe next time we'll we'll do one more and okay, wrap yeah. it up. I think there's some wrap up too. Yeah. Good. All right. I'd love that. So let's let's do part three coming up, and see where this goes. Because I I bet you the tag on will be on saved. I'd love to talk about saved and misunderstandings of what it means to be saved because it's not quite saying the prayer. So. <laughs> it's gonna be fun (laughs) sound good yes all right so let's wrap this up everyone thank you for watching if you enjoyed this uh, comment below uh bill thrasher thank you richard murray thank you for taking time to have this conversation uh join us next time on still growing in grace see you then wow I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That was that was great. And it wasn't like a lecture where you sit through a, a formal teaching. Um, I love it. So we're going to have more conversations on that. Um, when we finished that recording, um, we said there are, there's a bunch of other topics that we do want to talk about. We're still connected to hell. 
um, I am still going to teach a, a more formal series on because having these conversations is important because there has to be like a, a beginning way to enter into the topic without becoming dogmatic. Um, and the series that I want to teach, and it's been taught by others, um, uh, kind of laying the foundations of what has been taught about hell. I remember in my systematic theology class, uh, it was the first time I heard there was other views and suddenly there's like six or seven views on hell. I thought, what is this? Well, those are clearly wrong. That's, that's because my upbringing. So <clears throat> if our first reaction is, oh, that's clearly wrong, that, that has, you've just revealed your cards. You have just revealed that uh, you have a very narrow understanding. If your reaction is, yep, I actually understand that view. I may not agree with it, but I understand where they're coming from. That's what this is all about. So we grow wider and deeper in our understanding so that we can have more meaningful conversations with people who we don't agree with. So yeah, that's a that's a concept, eh? Having real conversations with people we disagree with. Um, I love it. It's not about being right. It's about being loving. Um, so I think next time we're going to, I don't know quite where we're going to go on it. Um, we're trying to find a time to record it, but it's going to be great. And of course, I definitely want to do a conversation on salvation. I think um, being, what does it mean to be saved? Uh, that, that was a real trigger. So I can hardly wait to get into that because it's not what we have been told. I promise you that. Uh, last, oh yeah, down below uh, in the comments, I have uh, put all the links to those articles. Um, it, uh, for it's a Facebook link, unfortunately. So if you don't have access to Facebook because you're watching on YouTube, um, send me a message and tell me which article you want. I'll create a PDF and email it to you um, as quickly as I can. Um, but I think they're going to be great. Like I mentioned, Brad Jerzak's book. Um, um, her gates will never be shut. It's an intellectual book. It's a, it's a systematic theology book. It really is, but worth the read the articles. I've not, I've not read Richard stuff. I didn't know he wrote so much. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about digging into it. If his writing is as easy to read as it is to listen to him. Oh yeah. I can hardly wait to look through his stuff. So, um, I've read a lot of his posts. He, he writes the way he speaks. So I guess, I guess it will be good. So I'm looking forward to having those resources available and, uh, maybe we can actually touch, uh, do a rapid fire through some of those topics because, um, what about those verses that seem to refer to hell, uh, seem to refer to judgment of scary stuff, burn, turn, all that stuff. Uh, how do we address that? Maybe that's an, uh, we'll, we'll do that as well. It, it, just before I wrap up, um, it made me think of the uh, the story of Jesus talking about abiding in the vine. Um, I'm still seeing and hearing comments about, you know, you're going to be cut off and thrown to the eternal fire. Listen, um, I'm going to reteach. I, I've taught on, on that parable, that story. It's got nothing to do with cutting off um, and mutilating uh, the body of Christ. Uh, look it up. Go deeper into those verses. You're gonna, you're going to discover the word does not mean cut off. It means lift up. Uh, when they lift up the vines off the ground so they don't get moldy, they lift them up to clean them off so they can produce more fruit and better fruit. There's more going on than what we've been told. And so, if you, I'm sick of regurgitated food, pre-chewed food. It's time to let the Holy Spirit confirm and expand and go deeper, uh, give you a lens that no one else has, and then share that lens so it clicks for somebody else that couldn't get it to click before. That's what these conversations are about. 
So I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for those who commented. We got two folks from uh, the UK. Kim, good morning. Uh, glad to see you listening. And Paul, good morning. Uh, I don't know where you're from, but uh, good morning. And that's it. You guys have a really fantastic day. If you like this, share it. And uh, next week, we'll see what part three will look like if we have time to record it. If we don't, um, there's other good stuff, and then we'll come back to this. So that's it. You guys have a really, really, really great week, and I look forward to the next conversations that we have. Thanks for watching. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.